Matthew chapter number 21. And let's start with verse number 12. It says, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But what I want to focus on right here is verse number 13. And he said unto them, It is written that my house shall be called a house of prayer. And we want to focus on that. Let's bow our heads. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, we exalt you and bless you. And Father, we exalt your anointed word that even in this hour, Father, will have triumph and victory and will have its course even in our lives. Father, let that word of anointing, Father, let it be inscribed upon the walls of our heart. Settle it in our spirits this night. And Father, by your spirit, move on behalf of your great and glorious name to do that and accomplish that which you would have done even in this hour to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God loves people. His word makes that very clear from looking at the scriptures from the very beginning of the word all the way through to the end. God is a God of intimacy. God loves to open up hearts or to encourage people to open their hearts and say, listen, I want to come in. I'm a God of intimacy, a God of love. I'm not a God who's cold and distant, but I'm a God who loves to open up hearts that I may come in. God is a God who is always moving towards us. He's not a God who is introverted towards himself, but God is always outgoing, always wanting to go towards you and towards me. God is a God who's always ready and willing to wrap his arms around you, to caress you, to care for you, to, to comfort and to hold you. And God always has a purpose for what he does. God never moves forward without a purpose or a vision. God always knows what he's doing. God always sets out for good, and God always does accomplish good. And God moves towards your life and towards my life with a good purpose to accomplish and to achieve in your life. And God says, don't run from me, but open your heart and let me in, that I can do a good and a refreshing purpose of work in your life. God is a God who just loves people around him. Even with the tabernacle of Moses and David and Solomon, God always wanted people around him. He says, I'll dwell in the midst of you, God always said, in the midst of you. He says, I want you gathered around me, that my grace and my glory could be manifest, and that I could do good things in the midst of my people. But you know, the imagination of man is something that is, when I search the Word of God, and you look up the word imagination in the Word of God, I don't... I couldn't find one good reference to imagination, to the word imagination. Every reference in the Word of God that spoke of imagination has it tied to evil. Man's imaginations were evil. Man's imaginations were continuously evil, continuously thinking wrong things about God. And as much as I searched the word imaginations, it always came out in the sense that it was always turning against God. If whoever had the imaginations, it would turn them against God. 
You know, and sometimes imaginations give people a wrong concept, a wrong picture, a wrong character of God. You know, people like to watch TV and cable. Imagine God. If God was wanted to be to himself, if, if God wanted to just relax up in heaven, people could imagine that he could just conjure up this great big lounge chair. Can you imagine the lounge chair that God could, could bring into existence? It'd go beyond your or my imagination. Do you picture God in this huge, tremendous lounge chair with, you know, 109 adjustments around the seats or whatever? God's sitting in there and he's got this huge, this, this huge screen. And how many cable stations do you think God would have? What portions of the universe do you think God could pull in from? God could be just sitting down there and he could just be watching celestial football games. I wonder if there'd be advertisements on there saying, God, we've just come up with this new thing that can make garments whiter than white. We can, we've come up with a brass cleaner for your feet. We, we've come up with, and if you act now, God, we'll even throw in. Could you imagine God watching this on his celestial cable station? You know, when Brother Fortunato was here, he used to call me Capozzi. He said, Brother Capozzi? I said, no, Brother Capozzi. Brother Capozzi. Can you imagine an angel going before God and saying, God, sorry to interrupt you, but Brother Capozzi down there is, is uh, praying and he wants you to see if you would accept this prayer. God saying, what? What are you talking about? His name isn't Capozzi. His name is Capozzi. And what's he want now? Lord, it's Brother Bill Lynch. He has a headache. He wants to know if you can heal him now. Who? Brother Bill Lynch, the pharmacist? With all the aspirin and the drugs that he has, he's bothering me to heal him from a headache? Tell him to take two aspirin and lie down. I'm busy. I'm watching the game. You know, we, we can imagine these things of God. God not wanting to be bothered. Too busy. Caught up in something else where... He doesn't have time for you or me. Or, you know, put it on hold. I'll answer him later. You know, call waiting. Imagine if God had a call waiting or call block. You know, caller ID. Who's this? You know, I'm not going to answer. My Lord, but God, God hears the prayers of his people when we go to him in Jesus' name. Amen. But the imagination of man can bring up the wrong portrait, the wrong picture, the wrong character of God. And people wonder why sometimes they're not getting what they ask for. It's because their picture of God is distorted. Their imagination of God is wrong, is, is not according to the Word of God. If God says, we have to do something about this. You know, God isn't entertained by the imagination of man. We are. Why are we entertained by man's imagination? God says that he wants to give us the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ isn't fascinated with the imaginations of man. God's mind is always orchestrating, always bringing about great and mighty things on the face of the earth. God is too busy doing great and wonderful things to be bothered with the imagination of man. 
The imagination of man counts as nothing to God. And God says it only turns people against me. It only gives them distorted views of me. God says the imagination of man is not good. We have to take on the mind of Christ. And we have to put down our own imaginations of what we have pictured or painted of God. And we have to take on the Word of God and have a new mind. Where we read here, it says, My house shall be called the house of prayer. And if you're going to buy a house, there's considerations of what that house should be or what's it going to be like before you even buy it. The location of the house. Where is it located? Now, God says, my house, his house. Now, God's got the whole universe. He created everything. God didn't have to say his house was going to be here on earth. He could have built a house for himself in the most beautiful portion of the universe and gone and hung out there and dwelled out there. But God says he wanted his house to be built in a certain location. And that location was here on the face of this earth, in the midst of a people. So the location that God chose for his house was right here in the midst of us, on this earth. And God, building his house, he said, well, I've got to consider how many children will I have? How many children, how big a house will I need to house the children that I'm going to birth? How many of you know that it says God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge? God has prepared his house to hold as many as would come through the name of Jesus Christ into the house to dwell. So God's house isn't limited. God doesn't build a house and say, I can only receive unto myself 144,000 and no more. God says to as many as received him, to them became, he gave power to become the children, the sons of God, to enter into the household of God. Over the face of the earth, God has a house to house the children that he births through the word of God, through Jesus Christ, through the blood. And there's always a price for a house. How many of you know that you don't go and say, I'll take that house there. It's free, right? No. There's a price attached to a house. And when God considered the house that he would have to build, he considered there would have to be a price paid to build that house. Now all the silver and all the gold belongs to God. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. What is money to God? What is cattle to God? But God said there has to be a price paid for this house that I want to build that will bear my name, that will house my children, over whom I would be the father and the caretaker. And God says the price would be a precious price, a price that no man could pay, a price that all the silver and gold can't buy. A price that the slaughter of all the cattle on a thousand hills couldn't purchase. But God says there is one. My son, Jesus Christ, who will lay down his body and shed his blood for you, for your sin, sickness, and disease. And that he will raise that body up again. And that will be the price that I will pay and give. 
for my house, that it will be established on the face of the earth. You see, when God built his house, he paid a dear and a precious price. He laid a precious foundation upon which it was to be built. And God says, why do you think I raised up this house? Why do you think I built this house? No, God didn't hire the contractor down the street and say, you come in and build me a house. God could have got the best of the best, just like a holy Abba and Bezalel when they built the tabernacle. God could have got the best and the best. He could have got the wisest of the wise. He could have got the talented of the talented and built himself a beautiful house. But God said, no man is going to build my house. I will build my house. And God says, why do you think I raised it up? Why do you think I paid a precious price, laid down the blood of my son, Jesus Christ? Why do you think I laid it down? That my house could be a house where rituals will be performed? That my house will be a house where there'll be a clock you punch and see how many times you attend? Am I interested in your attendance in my house? God says, no. There's a reason God built His house. You know, God built His house to specifications. His specifications. And God said, my house will not be adorned with silver or with gold. My house will be adorned with the lives of people who come to me and lay down their lives that I can make a new creation out of them. God says, my house will be adorned with new creations. My house will be adorned with the blood-bought children of God. My house will be adorned with their testimony and with their praises. And my house will be adorned with my word and with my spirit. My grace and my glory shall be the adornments of my house, says God. You know, my house shows if the my means a possession. God owns his house. God doesn't have a mortgage to pay. It's paid in full. God is the possessor of His house. And God's name is over the house. And the Word says that God is the Father of the house. And over the house, God said He set Jesus Christ as the High Priest, the Intercessor, the Advocate over the house of God. And the house of God is a place to be born again. It's a place to be nourished a place to be raised up. It's a place to be taken care of. It's a place to bring everything that weighs you down. It's a place to just come and receive refreshment and joy and gladness of, of the Word of God. It's a place where God will birth forth His reputation. Every house has a reputation. And God's house says, my house will have a reputation. And it's not going to be a reputation of imparting sickness and disease upon people. My house is not going to be a house where I'm going to steal the money from the pockets of the people and send them out poor, begging. God says my house is not going to be a house of deafness where I don't hear the cries of my people. And God said my house is not going to be a house of blindness where I can't see the needs of my people. God said, my house will be a house where I see and hear and move and act and do for the well-being, for the care, for the nourishment of my people whom I birth and have given birth to. The Word of God says that we are called the household of God, the family of God. And in Timothy it says that the 
house of God is the pillar and the ground of truth. God settled it on the foundation of the word of God. And God said, here is where truth is a pillar and a ground. Here is where you'll find the truth. Here is where you'll stand upon the truth, which is the foundation. And God said uh, in Galatians, he said, my house will be called the household of faith. And it is out of faith that God gives in parts to you. It is out of the faith comes by hearing by the word of God. It is out of people who step and walk in faith that God says, my reputation will come through those who dare to believe me and move out on faith. My reputation will be seen through their lives that I'm a God who is true to my word. A God who will never fail the people who come and walk in faith from my house. God says, you go forth from my house in faith. He says, and my reputation will be over your head. That I careth for you. That I seek to do good over your life. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8. God is the father of the house. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The word worse means a worse spiritual condition or more evil. If God... Didn't pro- if God didn't provide for those of his house, what would we say of God? That he is worse than some sort of infidel God? When we say that God doesn't provide, we're saying that here, this scripture can be placed in the face of God, saying, God, are you worse than an infidel that you don't provide for your own household? Would anyone dare put that before God? And say, God, you don't provide for your house. God said he's a God of provision. He surely will provide for your every need. Jeremiah says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of peace, thoughts of prosperity, not of evil, thoughts of good. God is saying, do you know my thoughts? And if not, why not? My thoughts, look to my word and and you'll see the thoughts that I have. And some will say, well, brother, it says in the scriptures that my thoughts are not your thoughts. And God says, oh, that's true. My thoughts are not the thoughts of men. My thoughts are the thoughts of God. And your thoughts need not be the thoughts of men, but your thoughts need to be the thoughts of God. God doesn't think as a man, he's saying. I think as God. And you need to stop thinking as a man and start thinking through Christ, through the mind of Christ, on what God has set for you and prepared for you. God said, well, he says, my ways are not your ways. That's true. God says, my ways are not the ways of a man. My ways are the ways of God. And God says, are your ways the ways of a man or the ways of God? So that we can know the provisions of God. In the house, we come to God through Jesus Christ. Hosea says, my people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge that my house is a house of prayer. You know the word destroyed? It doesn't mean to kill or put to death. It can mean that. But God doesn't kill his sheep. God doesn't kill his children in Deuteronomy. 
And it says that because they did refuse to serve God in, in gladness or in the fullness of joy, it says that he would cause them to be destroyed. It doesn't mean that God would put them to death. You read the rest of that chapter. You know, destroy means to, to cause to wander or to be stripped or taken from, brought down to nothing. But God would never kill his children. God never kills or slays his sheep. Never does. He may allow them to wander as he did the prodigal son. But he's always calling back, pulling back, saying, come back into the blessing and into the love and into the mercies. You know, to be dumb and silent is to have a lack of knowledge. And I'm not talking about dumb in the intellectual sense, but not knowing or not quoting the word of God is a lack of knowledge. And that could destroy us. It could allow things to be stripped and taken from us. It can hinder us from receiving what God would have. And hence, therefore, it means to fail, being unable to defeat the works of Satan, to be cut down or cut off from the blessings of God or to be undone. But Jesus says, you know, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, learn of me. Amen. And God's house is built to certain specifications. Somebody could walk in here and, and walk away with these plants or these speakers. They can steal certain things, but no, but we believe no thief is going to prosper through any of these doors. No thief will even come through any of these doors. But items can be taken or gone. And that doesn't mean that they robbed the house of God. The things that God put in his house cannot be taken by any thief. No thief can steal the things that God built his house upon. And that no, no thief can steal what God has set in his house. Let me tell you the foundation. Jesus is the foundation and the blood. As the blood is the foundation of the house of God. Nobody can steal the foundation from the house of God. Do you know anybody that can steal the foundation of the blood of Jesus Christ? Could anybody take that home and say, God, you no longer have the blood of Christ. I've got it in a container in my house, and it's in my vault, and I'm sorry, but your house now is void of the blood of God. Nobody can steal the foundation of the blood of Christ that was laid for the house of God. Nobody. The walls built by the love of God, those are the things that contain the house of God. Can anyone steal the love of God? Say, God, I'm sorry, you're out of love, I just took it from you. Nobody can steal God's love. And the covering over the house of God, grace and glory. Who can rob God's grace? Who can steal God's glory? No man, no devil in hell can put his finger on the grace or the glory of God without being consumed. And God says he'll fill his house with people, praise and testimony. And Jesus says, all that the Father puts in my hand, there's no snatching away. When we're in Jesus Christ, there's no snatching from the Father's hand. No snatching from Jesus' hand, but the Father has given him. When you belong to Christ, you're Christ. And no devil in hell can come and take you away from Christ. Now, if you want to jump out of Christ's hand and go your own way, that's a different thing. There ain't no devil in hell going to pry you out of the hand of God. And God says... My labor is not in vain. I didn't build something in vain. I didn't build my house in vain, in vanity. My house will be built and be filled according to my purpose. 
and according to my vision and according to my heart and according to my love and my word, my house will be filled. My house will be blessed. My house will be full of joy and full of gladness and full of compassion and full of mercy and full of every good and perfect thing. My labor will not be in vain. No Psalm 84.10 says that one day in the house of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. Remember we shared on that one? Now let me say this. Back in Matthew 21 where we were, it says, It is written. It is written, my house. The word or the phrase, it is written, is a proclamation to the world that God says, what is written, is written. And nobody in the world, no man, no woman, no devil in hell, Satan himself, cannot alter the change or stop or hinder or prevent what is written from coming to pass. Because God says, listen, world, I am the almighty God. I'm sovereign over men. I'm sovereign over nations. And nobody can stop my hand when I set out to do something. If I say it will come to pass, it will come to pass. And there's nobody that can stop it. It is written as something that's also in present tense and it remains authoritative even now. It's something that stands. It's, it's uh, an act of legislation, so to speak. It's set and it will be carried forth. In Matthew chapter 2, you don't have to turn to it, but the chief priests and the scribes, they went to Herod and they said, Herod, know something? It is written, Herod. It is written that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, Herod, I don't think you can change or stop that from being coming forth, but maybe if you went out to find this child and killed him, maybe you can stop whatever takes place after. But it is written, Herod, he's going to be born. They knew that what it is written, when God said something would come about, it would come about. You see, they couldn't stop the birth of Christ. And there's no devil in hell that could stop you from being born again. There's no devil in hell that could stop you from being born again, from the new birth. If you want to be born again, if you want to receive Jesus Christ into your heart, there's no stopping you. In Matthew chapter 26, and we don't have to turn to that either. But it says, it is written that the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, goeth out as it is written of Him. Meaning that Jesus set out to accomplish something. To bring something into existence. Jesus set out and came forth as the Son of Man to bring something into existence. He brought into existence for you and for me a new and an everlasting covenant. That's what God set Jesus out to do, to bring forth through him a new and an everlasting covenant, a covenant of provision for his household. See, God wanted to build a house, but God wanted that house to be provided with every good thing. And in order to do that, he had to set a new covenant. And that covenant had to be set through Jesus Christ. And it is through the new covenant that that house of God can be filled with every good and perfect blessing of God. Remember when Jesus went into the wilderness and the devil approached Jesus and tempted him? And what did Jesus say? He said, Satan, it is written. He tried with many words to stop or deceive Jesus. And he failed. But Jesus, with three words, stopped the devil cold in his tracks. Devil, it is written. Devil, it is written. 
Do you hear Satan? It is written. And the devil couldn't do anything else. He had to stop and retreat. He had to go another way because he couldn't go any further with Jesus. He couldn't prosper anymore against the Son of God because Jesus said, Devil, it is written. And the devil had to take heed and he had to say, You're right, Jesus. It is written. And I can't prosper against you. I'm going another way. I'll be back again. But as many times as he came back, Jesus sent him in another direction. And I think he went north one time, south another, east, west. He went every way he could go. And he's confused now because he doesn't know what other direction to go. Jesus said, it is written. In Luke chapter 20, it says that Jesus said it is written. That who stumbles on this stone, but it goes on to say that who this stone falls upon will be ground or crushed to a powder. Hallelujah. God has set his word in the heavens for all of eternity. When God wrote his word, when God spoke forth his word, it went out into, into the existence for all of eternity. God didn't send out a, a temporary word for a season. God spoke a word, and when that word came forth from the mouth of God, it was set in existence for eternity. Do you know that? It, every word of God is set for eternity. There's no erasing the Word of God. There's no withdrawing the Word of God. God doesn't go there and suck back His words and say, well, that's no good no more. This portion here, that's no good no more. God doesn't do that. But God breathed forth, spoke forth the Word and said that Word is settled in heaven forever for all of eternity. He said, and it's there. And because of God's Word, that is settled in the heavens for eternal the eternity. The devil is frustrated and the devil is defeated and God will always stand victorious because His Word will always stand in the heavens. And we said that when, God, when Jesus, when Jesus gave up His body and blood and was laid in a tomb, it says that He went down into the depths of hell. And we know that in the depths of hell, it says that He took from Satan the keys of life and the keys of death. He stripped the devil of all things, of all power, of all authority. He said, devil, you no longer reign or rule over anything. He says, I am the Lord God over life and over death. I am the Lord God over blessing and over my people. And he said, devil, your hand will not prosper against me in any way, in any shape, in any form. And guess what, devil? Your, you will not prosper or prevail against the children that will be born through my body and through my blood and through my resurrection. And those who come into my new and everlasting covenant, they shall not be harmed. I've given them unalienable rights over you. And he said, devil, here, I want to give you something. Now, this isn't in the scriptures. He said, devil, I want to give you something. You see my word, which is settled in heaven? He said, I've written that with a permanent marker. You see? And the devil seen God's word written up there. And he called over his chemist in hell. And he said, listen, you see the word of God that's settled in the heavens? I want you to conjure up some some kind of uh, liquid and I can see all the forces of hell coming up with some chemicals and some bottles and some liquids and sprays or whatever and trying to spray and erase the Word of God. And they say, hey, Satan, listen, nothing's working. 
We're trying hard. We're working overtime. But nothing is working. We can't erase the Word of God. It looks like it's just going to be set there forever. We've exhausted all of the wisdom of hells, Satan. We've exhausted all the knowledge and we can't erase the Word of God. Well, Satan said, okay, listen. If that doesn't work, maybe we can break the Word of God. Listen, I want the mightiest demons in hell to come forth and you give them the best sledgehammers, you give them the best things, weapons or whatever, and you come against the Word of God. See if you can break it into pieces. And they came out with the best that they had. The strongest of the strong came up and they tried to hammer at the Word of God. And guess what? They couldn't break the Word of God. They just hit it and it just resounded again and it just gave them the shakes. Because, you know, and they hit it again and they hit it again. And they said, Satan, nothing we have can break the Word of God. It's set. It's there. What are we going to do? All right, if we can't erase it and we can't break it, I know what. Maybe we can cover it up. Why don't you get something and try to cover it up? Get some lies and get some deception. Try to cover up the Word of God. But listen, nothing will stick to the Word of God. Whatever tries to cover God's Word will just slip away and fall from it. Because God's Word will not be hidden and not be covered to those who seek it in truth. But it will be revealed. And God says, Satan, my Word is settled forever. You know that? And the devil says, yeah. But we're still trying. God says, you can try all you want. My word is settled in the heavens. And when Jesus was down there before he ascended, he said, that Satan, I want to give you something to use and to play with. Here's a piece of chalk, Satan. You can write whatever you want over the lives of people with that piece of chalk. That's all you have. You know what happens when you write with a piece of chalk? It's not permanent. Whatever's written in chalk, you can just go... And what happens? What was words and letters just becomes powder. And you could blow it right away. And God said, Jesus said, devil, write all you want. Exhaust the chalk up. I got more here. Write all you want. But I'm telling you something, devil. You write over my children. I've given my children something, devil. I've given my children an eraser that will grind your words to dust. And to blow them away with the breath of their mouth. I've given my children, I've given my people the Word of God. And it is the Word of God that will grind your words to dust and to powder. And your words will be blown away by the Spirit of God that I will put into my children. Devil, you will not prosper. Devil, your words will not prevail. Devil, your words will be gone with the wind. But my Word will be settled over you forever. Hallelujah. God will settle His Word. Yeah, devil, the script of life that you try to write for people, forget it. If they don't want it, they don't have to receive it. And they could fall, make it work, fall right back down on your head. Blow it right back down into the pit of hell where it came from. But God said, it is written, my house, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And if it is written, then truly my house will be a house of prayer. A house that will bear my name. That will be accounted to me. A house that will be filled with grace and glory. A house where people will come and call upon my name through the name of my Son, Jesus Christ. And I will heal here. And I will heal and I will restore, and I will mend, and I will build up, 
And I will be to them a father. I will be to them a God. And my people in my house shall rejoice and shall not be sad, but shall be glad. My people shall be filled with the joy of the Lord because my house shall be called. And the word shall be called is a future tense. Because when you come to the house of God and you call on the name of God in prayer through Jesus Christ, and God says he will hear and will answer. When you see, receive from God the answer to your prayer, you're going to walk out and you're going to shout, Hallelujah! God heard my prayer. God raised me up. God delivered me from my sickness. God set me free of my disease. God broke the yokes that had me bound. My God's house is a house of prayer. My God is a God who hears. My God is a God who is full of, of, of greatness and glory and grace. And Him I will shout. It says you will go forth shouting the praises of God. You'll go forth shouting that the house of God is a house of prayer, a, a house where God stands to move and minister to his people, a house where God will set forth a reputation for himself as the Father God who provides and not one who sits back and ignores his children. But God says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You know what that means? When you come to the house of God, you can come with expectation that God will do more than you can ask or imagine. When you come to the house of God, you've got to come with a joy and an expectancy in your heart that my God said it is written, it is written that I am a son and an heir of the Most High God, and that whatever I ask, it shall be given. Whatever I seek, I shall find. Whenever I knock, it shall be opened. God will be the God who answers my prayer. If I need a mountain moved, God said will move the mountain if I have faith in Jesus Christ. God said his house shall be called the house of prayer. And let me tell you this. Unbelief will not stop the house of God from manifesting his grace and glory. No devil, no unbelief, nothing will stop or hinder the house of God from manifesting glory. God said, I paid a price for my house and I set out to do a work and a purpose in my house. I set out to bring forth healing and new birth in my house, and I'll do it. Regardless of what you say, you might not receive it if you have unbelief, but someone who believes will receive and will go home rejoicing in the Word of God. Turn with me to Isaiah 56, verse 7. We're going to end with this, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to believe God. Isaiah chapter 56. You know, when Jesus was quoting, my house shall be called the house of prayer, he wasn't saying his house. Although he was God in the flesh, he was saying my father God, his house will be called the house of prayer. Because when we come to God, we come to father God through Jesus Christ and we give him all our petitions, all our requests. We lay it before the father and through Jesus Christ, who is the high priest over the house, all things will be given and added unto you. Isaiah 56, verse 7 says, Talking about the Gentiles, Even then, even then will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful. And make, I said, to hear the word of God. It says, and I will make them joyful. Where? I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. 
That is a scripture right here in Isaiah that is speaking of a future tense. When Christ would be born, when Christ would lay down his life, when God would have erected the house of God, the house of prayer. And Jesus, when he entered the temple, he says this is the fulfillment of the scripture of what God says. That this house is the house of prayer where he will make his people joyful who he brings into the house. And why will he make them joyful? Because they will find healing. They will find salvation. They will find provision. They will find all of their needs met in God through Jesus Christ. God says, listen, my house will be a house of prayer that will make you joyful if you come in and you believe. Who wants to be joyful in the house of God tonight? If you have a prayer, you can lift it up to God and know that God will hear and move and you can go home with joyfulness filling your spirit. You can go with joyfulness, filling the soul of your mind. God said, my house shall be filled with joyfulness. Because I'm a God who says it is written. It is written. My house shall be called a house of prayer. I'm not going on any further than that. We're just going to stop right there. And we're going to pray.